when God's word is the best place I know to find his wisdom. Amen? My name is Ted uh, Swinburne, and I'm up again this week. Uh, JJ and his family are on vacation in Hawaii, and I think we're having better weather than them. And you know, uh, when the weather's like it is right now, I don't think there's any more beautiful place to be than right here. And so I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be here with you. And uh, so, you know, uh, I'm going to ask Jono to go back to the last chorus of that last song. Uh, I really appreciated Tad leading worship this morning because Tad had surgery on Thursday. And he's up here doing this, and I didn't expect him to be, so thank you. Uh, for leading us in giving a sacrifice of praise as you're sacrificing and doing that. I appreciate that. So I was, uh, they're getting that up. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Uh, I was before the Lord wondering how I should pray for us as we move into this time. And uh, as we were singing this chorus, there was the prayer. And so what I invite you to do now is just quiet yourself before the Lord and make uh, this prayer yours. And I'm just going to let you sit with it for a minute, and then I'm going to read it out. Oh, Lord, uh, your will and your way. Do whatever you want to. Come move, come reign. Let your kingdom invade my heart. Amen. This morning we are continuing uh, to look at the prayer book of God's people, commonly called the book of Psalms. And uh, as I said last week, uh, there are 150 poems that make up the book of Psalms. And they've been used for thousands of years for worship and for prayer and for insight into God's will and God's ways and how this supernatural uh, working of God intersects with a very a real human life from David and the other psalmists. And really, as I sit and read and pray through them, uh, that intersection in my life. And uh, so here we are this morning asking God to do his will and his way. So this morning we're in Psalm 3. Uh, I call it a psalm of the ordinary life. The psalm of the ordinary life. So if you take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 3 if you have them. If not, they'll be up on the screen. And uh, this psalm prevents, uh, presents to us a truth from a place where life is ordinarily lived. That place is a place of challenges. Any of you have challenges in your life at all? Or have you? If you haven't, you will. And so it's, it's an ordinary life psalm. Uh, it's, life is not predictable. Uh, in fact, disappointments can be common. In other words, this psalm is a psalm for all of us. And for something, it might, it might sound familiar. Now, I've observed there's a tendency in life to misdefine reality in one of two ways. 
uh, we can magnify the perils of life by seeing the circumstances of life as just being one catastrophe after another. And I call this type of view of life Chicken Little. You remember that nursery rhyme? Chicken Little, uh, if you don't, I might be dating myself a bit. I see smiles on people with a hair my color and wonder in your other faces. And so go check out Chicken Little was a nursery rhyme about a chicken that was always running around because the chicken was terrified that the sky was going to fall. Running around saying the sky is gonna fall, the sky is falling, and trying to get everyone to be just as terrified in life as they were. So that's the Chicken Little type of life. So the other uh, type of life is the inverse posture. Uh, that is denying that life can be and really is sometimes hard. And I call that type of life a Pollyanna life. Now some of you probably still are wondering what is Pollyanna about. Uh, go ahead and Google that and you'll see it's, it's a, a story about a, a young girl that is just going through life thinking nothing bad is ever going to happen and in fact when something bad happens she denies even seeing it happen and so it's just kind of going through life pretending life is good and will always good and never faces the issues of life. So my question for you is which do you tend to be? Do you tend to be chicken little or Pollyanna? Some both, yeah, that's true. So uh, in, in Psalm 3, we're giving a glimpse into how King David uh, viewed the circumstances of his life. And we'll find that on one hand, he is sober and honest about the perils that are surrounding him. And on the other hand, we will see that he recognized the reality and the power of God. So Psalm 3 is a, a psalm for the ordinary life. Now Psalm 3 is kind of lumped together with four psalms that follow it. Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 6, and Psalm 7. Now uh, we'll get to Psalm 3 here in a moment, I promise, but let me tell you a little bit about these other psalms. Now Psalm 4 uh, can be characterized by this prayer, God, give me relief from my distress. How long do I have to put up with the unfairness of life? And if you want to look at Psalm 4, I invite you to do that this afternoon. Psalm 5 uh, is built around, God, listen to the, my cries for help as I church, uh, choose to cling on to you because you are my only hope. That's Psalm 5. Psalm 6 is the prayer, Lord, I need you. I need your mercy because I'm worn out with sorrow and I have no more tears to shed. Uh, Psalm 6 will lead you further in that prayer. And Psalm 7, Lord, I need to find refuge in you because life has become too much for me. And that is uh, Psalm 7. Now we think that uh, David wrote each of these five psalms as a t testimony to the nation of Israel of his own experience in life. And I find that astounding, that the king of Israel would be so vulnerable to the people that he was ruling over. 
the people he was over. That he would say, here's my heart, and here's my heart breaking, and here's the struggles of my life. And it turns it into a poem, a psalm, and then puts it in the country's songbook to sing over and over again, exposing himself. I don't think, honestly, that I would do that. Because I have a tendency to hide my heart, not put it out for everyone to see. But King David chose to. And I believe that is why God called him a man after his own heart. Because he was honest with the stuff of life. So let's look at Psalm 3. There's a title at the head of Psalm 3 that says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. Next slide, please. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though ten thousand, tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So this is a prayer to God as opposed to a prayer about God or the world about, or about himself. Now, the songs we often sing in worship reflect uh, the psalms. Some of the songs that we sing are about God, and some of the songs that we sing are about us and God, and some of the songs we sing are about us and God and the world. And isn't that a lot like our prayer life, too? Sometimes our, prayer, our prayers are full of worship and adoration of who God is. And that is good because that realigns us, that, that sets us to be able to have a right view of life. So make sure prayer is a conversation with God where you're speaking and also listening. And when it, where there's a time where you're giving God glory and adoring him instead of reading out a shopping list of wants. So some of our prayer life is adoration. And, and, and some of our prayer life is deeply introspective kind of like David's psalm where we're saying, God, today, thank you I can be honest with you because you already know everything about me. And so I really need to tell you, God, that here's here's how I am today. And it's not for your knowledge, but it's something I have to acknowledge. And that's some of prayer. So adoration, introspection, and then also there's a part of our prayer which is Interceding, interceding for ourselves and for others in the world. So I like to think of it as up and in and out in our prayer life. Up 
in and out. These are the rhythms of some of the, most of the Psalms. So Psalms 3 starts out with a question that is really a declaration when he declares to the Lord that how many are his foes? How many are the people that are rising up against him? David is bringing to God his problem. He says, God, people are my problem. Does anyone have people problems? Yes. Well, you don't have to raise your hand on that. Hmm. That Bible heading I mentioned at the first, uh, before I started reading the book of Psalms, uh, it says that this psalm was written uh, about a time when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. Now, we think that these headings on the book of Psalms uh, were written when they were putting together the songbook of Psalms. So they're not necessarily part of what David wrote, but this is the best that they are doing. Here's why he wrote what he wrote. And he was fleeing from his son, uh, Absalom. So to find out what all that is about, you look for the story, which is about halfway through the book of 2 Samuel, and I'm going to leave you to do that with your homework to find that story. Uh, and if you spend any time with David, you find out that he wasn't perfect. Uh, I can identify. David wasn't perfect. In fact, he's far from it. And this one instance when he should have been leading the nation into battle, he instead was stayed back at the palace, and this one evening he was on the roof of the palace, and he was looking down upon a woman that was bathing. A place he shouldn't have been, seeing things he shouldn't have seen, and he responded in ways that he shouldn't have responded. And the story goes on, and it's full of lust and adultery and, and murder. And as a result of this, we see David's family start to crumble start to fall apart. And Absalom, his son, uh, he was responding to, uh, there was multiple wives here, and there was a mess, and there was incest, and there was disgust. And that's one thing about the Bible, it's honest. It's full of honest truth, and some of it is very ugly. And so we have a brother killing another brother, and then Absalom, being disciplined, and then Absalom gaining strength and finding a fighting force. And now Absalom is coming to overtake the kingdom from his father with the armed forces, with an army of his own. And David chooses to, instead of engaging his son in battle, he chooses to leave Jerusalem, the kingdom. And that's when he wrote this psalm. Life was hard. Life was tough. Life was Worse than I can even imagine, I have three sons. And I, it's so far from reality, I couldn't even think of my son coming to do me harm. But that's where David was when he wrote this song. And he says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And notice what David's enemies are saying to him. 
they are saying, God will not deliver you. God will not deliver you. They were saying, there's no hope for you. Have you heard those voices before in your own life? There's no hope for you. That you are beyond hope. Sometimes those voices can come from the outside. People might be judging you or condemning you. There's no hope for you. There might even be some of those voices from a long time ago that you still carry with you. Uh, some of those people that should have been caring for you but were in fact harming you, saying there's no hope for you. Perhaps a person comes to mind in your presence, present life that has that posture towards you. There's no hope for you. Now, those voices can come from the outside, but those voices can also come from the inside. From inside of us through self-doubt or self-condemnation. Uh, I know that sometimes I have those voices within me. Uh, I, I think I have a louder voice within me than outside saying, Ted, you're not what you'd like to be. We, we can so easily get into a spiral of self-loathing and, and condemnation that we can tell our own selves that we're without hope, that we have no worth. But friends, those voices, whether they are from without or whether they're from within, they are not the voice of the Spirit of God. They are not. Because never will God say that you are without hope. Never will God say you don't deserve love. When we are facing enemies, whether without or within, we need to hear and declare the truth of verse 3. And verse 3 says this, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You, Lord, you're my glory. I find my glory through you. You, Lord, you're the lifter of my head. Let's talk about that. First of all, oh, Lord, you are a shield around me. Oh, Lord, you are a shield around me. Now, what do shields do? You can go to that next slide on this. What do shields do? Shields protect. Uh, if you go into battle, you usually don't use a shield as an offensive weapon where you beat people with it. Shields protect. That's what shields do. So when we come before the Lord, when we're being attacked from the outside, David teaches us, and this is part of his own reality, when the foes were too great for him, he came to the Lord in prayer and said, Oh, Lord, it's your shield that protects me. You protect me from uh, accusations. 
You protect me from the lies of the evil one. You protect me from the accusations of others. Oh, Lord, you are my defense. And in the New Testament, we have this whole picture rounded out in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God. One of them is being the shield of faith that you hold up. And so there's another piece of homework for you. Go read Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God. And not only read it, but pray it. And not only pray it, but live it when the accusations come. I think right now we just need to sit and, and thank God that he is our shield. He's our shield. He's your shield. And you know, that shield is enough. It's big enough. It's wide enough. It's tall enough. It's enough. So uh, together, let's declare this truth, okay? I'll count to three, and then we'll declare it together. And you can declare it as loud or softly as you'd like. I think I'm going to say it in a bold voice, okay? One, two, three. Oh, Lord, you are a shield around me. Now we need to believe that. Just not now, but in the next moment, in the next moment, in the next moment. Okay, now next. So uh, this is a little bit different. The next slide, please. This is a little bit different from how I read it from the translation up on the screen. But it's, O Lord, bestow glory on me. Uh, the translation we had before was, O God, you're my glory. And uh, this is from a translation I like because I think from the original it explains it a little better. The word bestow, do you know what the word? I haven't used the word bestow this week until now. The word bestow uh, is an honor given. That's what bestow is, an honor given. And so any glory we have is given by God. O Lord, bestow this honor of glory to me. God is a source of our glory. God is a source of our dignity. God is a source of our self-respect. God has declared that we are his image bearers, a very special creation. God has declared that we are his beloved. God has declared that you and I are known and cared for. God is the source of our dignity and our self-respect. My, my glory is from what God declares me to be and what God declares you to be. Our worth and our identity is a gift from God himself. My, my glory and my worth is not bound in what Ted can do or what Ted has done or hasn't done. My glory, my respect, my identity is based upon who God is and who he has declared me to be. And the same is true for you. So when I think poorly of myself or when others are making accusations, as David said, God, you're my glory, we can say, God, 
You're my glory. My worth is from you. And that doesn't change. It's unchanging. It goes beyond the circumstances of life. So we can celebrate who God has declared us to be. And so let's do that together as we read out this second phrase, okay? One, two, three. O Lord, bestow your glory on me. And now the third. Uh, David's prayer was, O Lord, you're the lifter of my head. When you are under attack from without or from within, it can be seen in how we present ourselves. I'm sure that was true of David. Um, when David was leaving Jerusalem, do you think his head was held high or do you think it was bowed low? I think he left in shame. And often the posture of shame is with our head and our eyes down and our shoulders stooped when the weight of pressure tend to overwhelm us. But when we are under attack, when someone, including ourselves, might say we are beyond hope, when the pressures of life are overwhelming us, we can come to God and experience the truth that we find in David's declaration, and we can pray those same prayers that David prayed. And so I'm going to invite us to do that, and let's say all three of these, and perhaps if we can muster it, let's say it with a little bit more volume and enthusiasm, each one as we go, okay? Let's work ourselves up a bit here, okay? You have my permission. Here we go. One, two, three. O Lord, you are the shield around me. O Lord, bestow glory on me. O Lord, lift up my head. Very good. So verse 4. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. From his holy mountain. You know, I think there's value in praying and calling out out loud. Verb. It's good for us to hear our own voice saying what is true. Um, especially when the weight of the world is its heaviest. I think it's important for us to say our need to the Lord and declare our dependence on him and even to announce the, to the evil one that we are God's so hands off. Amen. And that's what uh, David was saying here. When, when life was, couldn't have gotten much worse, he, he, he called out to the Lord, and, and uh, he says the Lord answered him from his holy mountain. It's important to say our needs and, and declare our dependence on God, not only internally as we pray, but even, I think it's very important that we speak it out externally. 
So when under distress, cry aloud to God, and he will answer from his holy hill. Do you think God answers prayer? I have to. And I have to believe that God answers prayer because I've seen answered prayer, and I've lived out answered prayer, and God in his word has said he's a prayer-answering God, and I can have my uh, faith and confidence in him, and sometimes he doesn't answer the details of my prayer because he knows better than to do that because some of the details of my prayer aren't the details of his kingdom. I mean, they can be a little bit selfish. But he answers, and he answers from his holy mountain. Now, uh, back in David's day, that was associated with Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a mountain. I was able to visit there just before COVID happened, and it's an amazing city. Uh, and the Temple Mount is an amazing place. And, and so uh, that was back in David's day seen as, well, that's God's presence. And later there was a temple there, and that was God's place of presence on earth. Uh, I saw a wailing wall there on the temple wall, and people were still there crying out to God. But you don't have to go to Jerusalem, to the wailing wall, to have God answer you from his holy mountain because Jesus has come. Amen? Amen. Jesus came. Our Messiah has come. And he has won the victory for us. And now we can pray in the holy name of Jesus and have that authority of God answering from his holy mountain. Jesus came and he lived a humble, miraculous perfect life as an example for us. And then Jesus, God, Emmanuel, loved and cared about us so much that he was willing to die for us. A, a death that um, is beyond my comprehension. He, he, he died, just not the physical death on the cross, but he, he took upon our, himself our sins. He took upon himself your sins. Think of that. Your sins. He took upon himself. Resulting in death. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, three days later, he rose again. He broke the chains and the, the guilt and the fear and the destruction and all those voices without and within. And he offers us salvation, victory. Then Jesus ascended into heaven. He's now interceding on our behalf. He, he sent the Holy Spirit 
God himself, so that when we come to Jesus and accept him, God comes and takes residence in the very depths of us. Do you know, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Jesus follower, if you've asked Christ to come and forgive you of your sin and come into your life, you too are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us and guides us and leads us to live supernatural lives so that we can experience the very victory that David was declaring here. If you've never experienced Christ as your Savior, friend, you need to. Because that's the gospel. That's your only hope. That's my only hope. I, and I invite you to come up after the service. There'll be some people here. Uh, they'd love to pray with you and talk to you more about that. So let's go to verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Here they come. There you go. Uh, David says, now this is quite a difference from where David was. David was running in fear and shame from his son. And now he says, after he declares to the Lord uh, the truth of the matter, he says this, I lie down and sleep. Isn't that amazing? When you, when you picture the situation that was going on, he, he says, now I lie down in sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though ten, tens of thousands will sell me on every side. <laughs> that is amazing to find that peace of God. I lie down and sleep. I don't know about you, but when I get stressed out, my sleep suffers. Is anyone like me? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been retired about a year now, and I was finding that uh, pastoring a church through COVID was horrible. Living through COVID wasn't fun. And I was finding myself waking up at night and you know what would happen when I'd wake up at night? Immediately, the first thought in my mind was the things that were going wrong. And then you start letting that spiral. And pretty soon, it spirals to the point where you're the reason they're going wrong. I don't know why it's like that in the middle of the night. Have you ever spiraled in the middle of the night? It looks like some of you have. You know, I think verses 3 and 4 are really good to pray in the middle of the night when you wake up and you start getting those thoughts that are starting to weigh you down and you're feeling yourself starting to spiral. That's when you place your hope and faith in Jesus. That's when you huddle close to him in prayer. And declare, God, you are my shield. God, tell me again who I am in you. And God, 
lift my head from the place that it wants to go. And I give to you what's weighing me down. And David said when he did that, he slept. And he woke again, rested. So the next time you wake up in the middle of the night, I invite you to do just that. When I release the stuff of life to God and put it in his hands, he brings relaxation. Then I can rest and wake for a new day. Let me read some verses from those following psalms and get you to the place that they got to. First in in Psalm 4, verse 8. David writes this, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that amazing? That's good. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. I like that. Psalm 6, verse 9. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. And one more. Psalm 7, 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. In order to live faithfully, In a world of peril and uncertainty, we need to see life from multiple points of view. We need the courage to see and admit that, yes, there are threats in this world in which we live. But we also need the wisdom and and the trust to know that God is present. And in his presence, he is always with us and he is powerful And he knows and he cares and he answers prayer. So uh, we must avoid the errors of being chicken little or being Pollyanna and follow the wisdom of David who intention held this reality of life and trust in God. He held that tension together in faith. And he believed God. And this is where we can live as followers of Jesus. So I have one more thing that I'd like us to uh, declare today. And could you put up that last slide, please? And here's what I want us to declare. I'm going to read it first, and I'm going to ask you to join me in that. If this is the desire that you want to live with. I will not be overcome with fear. My faith is in the Lord. I'm going to let you sit with that just for a moment. And would you join me in that declaration? I will not be overcome with fear. My faith is in the Lord. And Father, you've heard these voices. And we accept your grace. 
your grace that is greater than all of our fears, your grace that is greater than all the lies of the evil one, and we choose to live in the faith of your holy name, in the name of Jesus and the victory we have in him. We live. We live in you. So Jesus, would you work? Uh, right now, I believe your spirit might be showing us some places that are causing us to fear. Places perhaps where we're a bit stuck. And from that place, Father, we thank you that you are our shield. We cuddle up close to you and under the protection of it. And from this place of intimacy with you, Father, we accept what is true and what you say about us. That we are your beloved. That we are yours, that you care. And from that place of trust, Father, would you lift our heads from the posture of uh, pain and fear and shame to a posture of trusting in your victory. And Father, would you uh, take all that anxiousness away? And would you give us your peace? In Jesus' name, amen.